what I started to realize is like, once I did that, once I bought that thing, there's that rush of like, oh, that feels so, I, I did it. And then it slowly turns, maybe not so slowly, turns into that moment of like, I just spent money on a toy. Welcome to the Secret Life Podcast. Tell me your secret. I'll tell you mine. The best way to support the show is to subscribe and share. If you haven't left a review or ratings on iTunes, please do. It helps more people find our show. And if you want to be on it, please shoot me a note at secretlifepodcast at iCloud.com. to Secret Life Podcast. I'm Brienne Davis-Gant. Today, I'm pulling back the curtains of all kinds of human secrets. We'll hear about what people are hiding from themselves or others. You know, those deep, dark secrets we probably want to take to our grave or those lighter, funnier secrets that are just plain embarrassing. Really, the how, what, when, where, and why of it all. So today, my guest is Alex. Alex, dun, dun, dun. What is your secret? I have OCD and I'm addicted to collecting action figures. Oh, when did this start? Uh, I guess this started when I was five. I think it was five. I started, well, I just realized recently, I, the OCD aspect came to light recently. So I wasn't sure what was going on. I wasn't sure what was feeding into what. But um, one thing that happened was I remember going to this t- target when I was a little kid and I kept wanting my mom to buy the same Superman action figure because the face paint wasn't perfect. <gasps> wow. I mean, every time you went to a target, you wanted the same action figure because the face was yes. like a little off. Yeah. The paint wasn't right or the eyes were a little wonky or whatever it was. And I remember going, I want the perfect figure. I want this perf- like this thing. And that, that realization was like a couple of weeks ago. And I, I started talking to my therapist about it. And I was like, wow, that's, that's kind of uh, illuminating. Just because I had never known what the birth of this was or why or, or uh, the beginning of the story. And that for me, that's the beginning of the story that I can see. At least that, that repetitive behavior, you know? Now, did your mom buy you? like the multiple ones or did she kept saying, no, you already, she did. She did. Yeah. Yeah. She totally did. I don't think it was, I don't think she put a lot of thought into why I was asking for that. It was just like, I, you know, I played with money, you know, I got him dirty and I beat him up and stuff. So I think she just figured he wants another Superman, but I know why I was doing it. I never, there was never that dialogue between a five-year-old and his mom. Like, Hey mom, you know what? Actually the paint isn't perfect. This doesn't, uh, this doesn't ring true for what my ideal Superman is. So can I get another one? It didn't work, work like that. Well, listen, I remember I'm OCD too. I have, my dad mm-hmm. has it. And I remember my thing was like stacking scraps of paper in my room. Sure. Like I had a high mm-hmm. thing and it was the only thing I had control over. Yeah. And that's what it is, right? It's OCD is control. It's you want control of something. And like going back to thinking like, what am I trying to control at five years old? what was I trying to control? And I think there's part of that with, with my, my mom, my mom is a perfectionist. So, uh, it, it trickled down to me in ways of like, I, she would, you know, I would dress well. Like I would, like my parents had me dress really well as a little kid. And I have rebelled against that as a full grown man. I'll tell you that much. But I think there are things that she had control issues with, like her parents were alcoholics, full blown alcoholics. 
And so like her way was like being a great student, making sure she wasn't, uh, she was responsible for three other kids. Like they were, her younger siblings were, you know, at the mercy of these, these parents who weren't really there, they weren't emotionally there. And so she had to parent these kids and that meant holding up some sort of idealized version of what her version of a parent is. Oh, wow. That makes so much sense because sometimes after when I was going through all my stuff, I looked at my lineage and alcohol ran through my family and my mom developed it a different way. She was a workaholic. My sister did and me. And and part of that is this perfectionist thing. Mm -hmm. Which gets in the way of enjoying anything, right? Like once you start thinking about perfecting something, I don't have fun anymore. I'm, I'm a sculptor. So Ooh. if you're trying to sculpt a likeness of somebody, if you're trying to get their face down, you have to have all angles look like this person because it's seen in 360 degrees. And our eye goes, wait, that's that eyebrow is, is higher than the, whatever it is. It deals with symmetry and perfection a lot of the time. So that kind of plays into uh, um, me feeling like I have to be perfectionist too. So there's, there's parts of my life that don't corroborate, don't make it easy for me to get away from this sort of behavior, um, but they're also necessary for creativity. So it's this weird back and forth, I guess. So do you, when you're sculpting, are you never satisfied with what you create? No, you know, I am, if I... I have a deadline or I have to give in to it and I kind of go, that's as good as it's going to get. And I can't appreciate it for weeks or months after. And I'll come back to it and I'll look at it and I'll go, oh, that's pretty, it's pretty damn good. I'm not mad at that. That's all right. That worked out. Um, which is good because I I will, I know at least internally, I will get to a point where I know that might happen later or it will happen. Like I will work on something so hard and get it to my the best of my ability, but I never leave something just done. I never like go, oh, that was enough. I go, I have to see it throughout my ability, if that makes sense. It does make sense. I mean, I, I find that that driven aspect that you're always striving for the next, like, you know, I can't even the words, but I have that too. But I want to go back to the five-year-old. What was, sure. what was the next moment that you've talked with your therapist that you realized that this was a problem, that this was kind of taking over your life? Um, I've known it was, it's been a dirty little secret. My whole, there was a point when I stopped playing with action figures, which was like, I don't know, 10 or 11, um, which I think a lot of kids stopped playing with dolls around that, that time. Um, and I stopped really playing with them, but I kept on collecting them. I think what happened was I found that as a security blanket. I knew this was something that was like keeping me, it was an anxiety reducer, buying or thinking about or whatever it was. It just kind of quelled that like, what's going on? But I didn't realize as a kid, it's just like, if there's if there's problems in the home or whatever with, with family members, you, you don't know what makes it better. You just go to that thing that makes it better. And like video games was that, but mostly action figures. When did that become an issue? Did you spend so much money collecting them? Did you look around and see yourself surrounded by them? Like, what am I doing? What was that moment that made you realize like this is a problem? I think um, it was probably in high school because I connected shame to it. There was a closeted aspect of it, of like, I can't tell my friends because it's not cool. And I, you know, I was playing sports and I was doing all what teenagers do as in, in the girls. And I was trying to, and action figures weren't part of that equation. There were, the, there was, it was this dirty little secret I had. 
Right. And my parents knew, but they didn't know to what the, it didn't look malevolent on the outset, right? It doesn't look like something. It's just something I was doing as a kid. And it started from a place where I would, when I was five or six, I would buy an action figure, but I would buy two of the same one, one to play with, one to keep in the package. And if you're looking at a six year old doing that, you're going like, that kid's learning about investment really, really early on. He's being, he's really smart. He's economically exactly. smart. <laughs> then, and, and it had that veneer, but it wasn't that at all. It was just, it was the collecting hoarding aspect of something. The perfectionist, mm. I wanted one out of the package so I could have, and then I would have one in the package so it could be perfect and unsmirched. You know, it was just this, this thing that I would not even really go back to. Did you then try to sell them or you just kept hoarding them? Uh, it turned into selling them. So like, you know, when, when online started, I had an eBay account, I've had an eBay account for 20 plus years and I would sell them and buy, but it was really to fund these things. It was fun. It was to fund more buying Mm. is what it was. And I would, uh, I, yeah, I, 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 once I started selling them, I would have stuff that I'd had for 10 years and I didn't really want, but had accrued value, but there would be the new thing, the new hottest thing that I want. I would want that. And then it's this never ending pit that just kind of continues and continues and continues. Cause right now, what I think is, uh, there are a bunch of action figure makers, like there's Hasbro and that are geared towards the collector market. Yeah. And if you are a brand loyalist, if you're into star Wars or uh, comic book care, Marvel, DC, any of that stuff, they have you hook line and sinker because they know what adult collectors want. And they want buyers for eternity, right? They want yeah. your kids to be in this. That's part of it. So getting out of that almost feels like, it feels like getting out of a cult for me because there's the cult of collecting and it's what I've known. Right, there's like the whole community that looking online, finding it, then like sure. betting against other people. It's like, is it the whole behavior that kept you so entwined in doing this? Yes, absolutely. It's, it's the all-encompassing aspects of like the winning of like, if I buy, if there's a pre-order window of something, or there's only a limited amount, and I and I click online and I buy, there's that rush of like, oh my God, it felt so good. Oh my God, I had one of those moments. I found like a leather skirt and I was like, I won! And yeah, you like, won. You won the internet that day is what happened. But my husband is like, you just overpaid for that skirt. And like, yeah. you understand it's a used leather skirt. And I was like, oh, I guess I really didn't win. Now, did you feel like that? Because I'm I wouldn't negotiate. I'd be like, nah, I'm pretty sure there were like six thousand other people trying to get that same thing at the moment. And what I've started to realize is like once I did that, once I bought that thing, there's that rush of like, oh, that feels so I I did it. And then it slowly turns, maybe not so slowly, turns into that moment of like, I just spent money on a toy. Yeah. On a on a on a thing that doesn't reward me in any way. It's, it's as easy to see. I mean, they all look essentially the same. They're like six inch action figures of a character. How many Supermans or how many Batmans do you need? Not a lot. I don't know if you want a Michael Keaton one, that's fine. I get it. Um, but you have these things and they don't, they're not, they're never, ever that cool to me. You know, they're never, ever like that was worth $120. I would get them in the mail or when they'd, whenever they'd arrive and there would never be that like, Oh, Yes, that was totally worth it. Oh my God, it was so, never. I never got that. Sometimes it'd be like, that's cool or the sculpting's nice or whatever, but I'd never feel satisfied. And would you just keep them in the box? So you're really just looking at a box, right? You don't even take Uh, them out and touch them or anything. Not really, no, I don't. I mean, sometimes once in a while, I'll put them on a shelf 
but then they'll sit on, I mean, I'll take them out of the box, put them on a shelf. And then I'm like, I'm a 37 year old man with an action figure in his hand. Oh my God. I, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do want to get like, when did it all hit? Like when was your bottom? Cause you said you went to a therapist. The bottom was when I was moving in with my now wife, girlfriend at the time, we had been dating for six months and I had been living in Echo Park and I had uh, a storage unit full of the stuff and a house full of the stuff. And I kind of kept it secret from, I mean, I'd had normal relationships my, my whole life. That was just an aspect of my relationships that never came up or I never, I never brought up, broached the subject at all. So my wife and I, we're moving into a new place and I had boxes upon boxes of stuff that had to be moved in. So she didn't know. I didn't tell her. I didn't purposefully not tell her. Uh-huh. I just omitted. And I, when, when I omitted, I was like, oh, this is a bigger thing than I thought it would be. Cause I'd never lived with a person before. I'd never lived with a significant other before. So I was like, okay. And she was just, she was kind of aghast. Like I didn't, it was a big secret. Yeah, that's a big part of my identity of who I was, of how I function in the world that that clued in a lot of things of how I am. And she just didn't have any idea. So I was like, "Mm, maybe this is and I couldn't stop buying is the thing as much as I had. You feel like, you know, like uh, Smeagol from Lord of the Rings, or you feel like the character that smog that that hoards all the gold and wants to, you know, those those kind of characters. I was like, oh, my God, I think I'm that. I think I'm that in literature. The one percenters that have all the money. I'm like, what are you doing with all that money? You're, you're, you can't spend it all in this lifetime. Like you're hoarding money. Yeah. And like, what, what are you actually doing? You're not, you're not helping anybody else. It's not making you happy. So share that wealth or get rid of it, whatever it is, you know? Well, so there's your girlfriend slash now wife standing around mm-hmm. looking at these boxes and you mm-hmm. had to realize like, something's got to change, right? I I think I realized, um, wow, it was almost, there there was something almost like comical about it. I was like, this is uh, silly. I didn't want to have this thing that had brought me so much shame for so long to invade our relationship, I realized. But I couldn't stop because that's what addiction is. You you, you can't rationalize that. You can't go like, oh, you need tools. And I didn't have any tools at that time. So it was a lot of, you know, us having fights because I didn't know how to express myself because I was upset that I had bought something and not told her, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. It was just like a lie, just penetrating your household. Absolutely. That's what it was. It was this pervasive deception and I didn't mean to. Um, but one of the things about our, my relationship on it, sort of tangent is like our relationship is great because we don't, we are, we are very transparent with each other and super open. And if somebody's uncomfortable with something or we don't like it, we get to the point really fast. We are both good communicators in that sense. I realized the only time I lied was when I was buying stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I straight up lied to her and it just ate me up. And then I'd start fights. And so I was like, that's, that's, that was the biggest indicator that I was lying to her. I didn't lie to her. I don't lie to her. And she, I know she doesn't lie to me. And this was something I was omitting or stepping around or not saying stuff. And that just bred this terrible um, 
it breeds terrible things, I guess. And I also have to say, like, I know it's not like drinking or drugs, but those lies damage a relationship because you're not being authentic. And then on top of it, because some people, you might be listening thinking, what's the big deal? Like, but that $120 that you're spending on it, that's for your livelihood with your family. Mm-hmm. So like mm-hmm. I, that all had to add up. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing is like, you know, addiction is, addiction is addiction. It has different faces and chemicals can be involved in alcohol or drugs or whatever it is, but addictive behavior is destructive. There's no, there's nothing about it. There's no ifs about it. It's just a destructive thing and it ruins families and it ruins, I mean, everybody knows it ruins lives and it ruins relationships because part of it is like, you know, there was behavior specifically connected to this that was ruining our relationship. It was taking up so much thought of mine. I was thinking about it all the time. If I didn't get what I wanted, I became ornery. Mm. You know, the things, if I didn't get my fix, whatever it was, and it was an emotional fix. There was a serotonin release. Once I got this thing, I'd be like, oh man, you want to go get something to eat? I feel great. You know, that kind of like, (laughs) I'm ready to take on the world. But when I didn't have it, it was, it was a dark cloud over my head. So Now, I always like to tie these secrets into the seven deadly sins, not in the religious Mm -hmm. sense, but the character defect that we all have them. So I'm going to name them for you and tell me if any of these fit with this behavior. So we have pride, greed, lust, gluttony, envy, anger, and sloth. I think pride, envy, and greed for sure. Why? I think there's, uh, I think pride comes in where there's a, there's a pride of having a collection. That's, there's this, it's this double-edged thing where you're shameful and you're proud of this thing you've curated over time. You know, like I have this thing, I have these things. I'm proud of like having, and there's always in the back of my head, I'm like, oh, you know what I have? If I want to get rid of it all, this is a great investment. I'll sell all this stuff, (laughs) but I don't. I I haven't sold, I've sold some stuff, but I haven't sold it all. And then uh, the greed of, of hoarding. There's a hoarding aspect of this and it's at the behest of somebody else in your mind. And you don't mean to, I don't mean to be like, ha ha ha, I got this and this other person didn't. It just means that I have these things now. Um, and I, it's an unquenchable thirst is what it is. You know, hole that never gets filled. I, t- I talk and, about yeah. Spark hole. Yeah. And the, you have to fill it with something, right? Like that's the thing about addiction as far as I know is, is if you, if you have one thing that's been consuming your life, you still need other things to fill that hole, right? So if you don't, if you, if you like smoking cigarettes is basic, but if you're smoking cigarettes and you take that away, you have to have like a, a, maybe it's gum or whatever it is, or if it's exercise, these things that have to fill. It's called the whack-a-mole. Like you're always like whack-a-mole and until you get to a place where you just surrender and know that that hole can only be filled by you. And, mm-hmm. and a God or something you believe in that's bigger than you. But I also want to mm-hmm. hit like, who did this secret benefit and who did it harm? Well, it's harmed my relationship. It's harmed every relationship I've had, I, I guess, in terms of honesty. You're not, I'm not honest. Like that's yeah. a big part of me that if, if you are not honest, you can't have full relationships, I think. I think. Intimate ones. I agree. And uh, I think it benefited me because my brother was kind of this, he was five years older. He is five years older. We didn't really connect. He wasn't very nice to me, but we had action figures in common. We placed that we play video games. We play with these toys. And then he left when I was like 12, he just got out of the house. And uh, I think that was my connection to him. That was my connection to this nuclear family that I thought was real. And then, you know, as people age, you realize it's not, it's a facade to some degree, you know? 
Yeah. Sometimes family is not the best to keep close all the time. And sometimes, you know, sure. you can be, be blood, but not like somebody or, you know, who knows? Yeah. And, but yeah. I do want to hit like, how are you moving forward? I think it's a day by day thing where it's meditation for me and exercise. Those are the things that are, I'm, I'm doing this uh, meditation. It's a, uh, everybody, I think who meditates knows of it, but uh, headspace, which has been oh, just wonderful for me. I just, yeah. I love it. And it helps me get into the present state of mind, right? That's, that's for me is if I know I'm doing something, then I have the choice to not do it or to do it, you know, but I've been so impulsive about this behavior for so long that I haven't been aware. It's just been what I do. Oh, I'm anxious about a test when I was, when I was in high school, oh, I'd try and buy something or I'd, I'd look at whatever it was to kind of quell that. So now for me is I'm just meditation and exercise makes me feel better about myself. When you've lived with something for so long, you it's hard to be successful if you're working from fear or shame, I think. Yeah. And I think that was a fundamental quality of my life, of my um, young adult into adult life was thinking this thing, the secret I had was shameful. It was shameful and silly. And I tried to marginalize how silly it was to kind of take away the power, but it never did. It just made me feel worse and worse and worse because it had such a control on me. And it does still, not, not to the same degree. And I know I'm watching the steps in the last couple of years of me changing and me growing, but it's, it's insidious because it doesn't just happen overnight. It happens over a long period of time. Yeah, it takes a long time to rewire your brain. So here, I just want to like give our listeners a chance. So if these feelings come up and you want to jump on eBay or you see something and that impulse comes, is there something you actually do to try to get out of it? Is there anything? Yeah, there's. Okay. Yeah. I want to hear it. I, I, um, for me is what Headspace has taught me is being in the present moment. And there's this, it's not a specific mantra, but this guy who I listen to continually says it's about self-awareness, right? Self-awareness gives you the power back. So every time I am I'm desirous to go look at eBay, I go, mm, why don't you do this? And I'll go and sit and I'll like, I'll do a, a jog in place for, for five seconds. I know that sounds silly, but it kind of gets my brain moving in a different, in a different way. And it's not always successful, but I don't, I haven't, purchased anything in, in a little bit of time, which feels good. And it's, it forces you to like figure out a way to deal with anxiety differently, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm still trying to figure that out. It's this, it's that this was the question I think I was not dreading. It's just, I didn't, there's no answer. Like it doesn't feel like I have a, I wish there was a concrete answer, but it's like you said, the whack-a-mole thing. You're trying to find different ways to cope with this thing. It's like, well, because it, it, it's not one face, it's a many-faced thing. So you're oh, like, yeah. oh, I know that aspect of it. Oh, but, but it pops up here. And there's one thing that I noticed is like, once I feel successful about something, it's, it's not just shame that would drive me to do this. It's like when I felt successful about something, I was like, I overcame this thing. I would go to that because that was a security blanket. So I'm like, I mean, 10 years of sobriety. All I can, all I can tell you is I have on tattooed on my foot, just be to remind Mm -hmm. me to just be where I am. And still to this day, after all the therapy, after all the step work, after everything I've done, my brain still can mess me up. And it's a daily, we have a daily reprieve. 
It's a, it's a one minute at a time. It's a one day at a time situation where you're like, mm-hmm. oh, there it is again. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go sit and be quiet. I'm going to go enjoy my wife or my son, you know? So you yeah. are in the same place every addict I know is in. <laughs> like <laughs> it's a daily reprieve. That's all we yeah. get. And anytime yeah. we, we think we get ahead of it, that's the danger zone. Sure. That's how I felt. That's, and I'm, I'm sort of new in that discovery for myself. I'm like, once you feel there's a victory, you feel like it's a warrant to do that behavior that you've been trying to evade for so long, you know, by when, by it's this cycle, this weird snake eating its tail sort of thing. You know? Oh yeah. It's that where you're like, oh, I can do it now. I ha- I'm, I've got this. And it's like, oh no, I no, won. no, no. Yeah, I yeah. won. That's a yeah. bad thing to say. Did you win? Did you win? Because you're Did doing you the same really? thing. Doing, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your secret and being so open and honest. Of course, it was a pleasure. And if you want to be on the show, just email me at secretlifepodcast at iCloud.com. Until next time. Thank you again for listening to Secret Life Podcast. Please subscribe, share, send me a note, and you can always support the show with a donation on our site, secretlifepodcast.com. Until next time, bye.